0: Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Cindy and Chrissy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with changing the ideals and expectations of motherhood. Every other week, we dive into the topics that
1: matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about all while hanging with your mom friends.
0: We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in.
1: We are thrilled to have Anna Krollman joining us today. Anna is a young breast cancer survivor, mother, infertility warrior, and self-professed style addict. Anna uses her wildly popular blog, My Cancer Chic, to empower women to feel beautiful and confident as their body changes. We had the pleasure of sitting down with Anna to hear her inspiring story of overcoming cancer, battling infertility, and navigating the ups and downs of life along the way. Join us as we hear Anna's inspiring story and learn how to develop confidence in yourself no matter what life is throwing your way. (laughs)
0: Okay, Anna, here we are. And I'm going to shoot off some questions for you, and you can just give me some of your snappy answers. Okay. Okay. All right. So here we go. Fill in the blank. Motherhood is so freaking hard. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Tell it like it is. All right. Cleanest room in your house.
2: Definitely my closet. What? I know. Awesome. It's out of blue, but like my closet is like my little happy Haven. I have to keep it clean. Is it a walk-in? It, it, it's not a humongous walk-in. It is a walk-in and I kicked my husband out. So it's like all my space. Oh so, yeah. It's my special space. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh. I, yes. I want that. What is bringing your life sanity right now?
2: Unplugging from my phone. And setting timers for tasks that are too large to complete in one setting. So my therapist has me like setting a timer to say, I have 20 minutes to work on this project. And if I spend 20 minutes working on it, I am successful. Not did I finish the project or not. So that's been keeping me sane right now.
0: Oh my gosh, my therapist was telling me (laughs) to set a timer. I'm like, I don't know if I can do it.
2: The therapist must be (laughs) uniting on this timer thing because it's really helping. I've been sharing it with everyone. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. What do you look for in a mom friend? Vulnerability, fun, coffee loving, and down to earth. Mm, All good
0: things. Good old Brene, right? (laughs) <laughs> Bring it in into the
2: <laughs> love <laughs> you know, a little
0: Renee. I know. Best vacation you've ever taken.
2: I think it would be to Toronto. I was gonna say the beach because I love the beach so much and I've been to Mexico a couple times, but Toronto is my favorite city ever. I've been there like three or four times now, and I just cannot wait for COVID to be over to go back. Oh, so you must have an updated
0: Ooh, Do you need a passport now to get to Canada? You do, you I do need a passport.
2: So, so I've got to get one for my son whenever we travel again someday. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> One thing you'd
2: like to learn. Ah, uh-huh. So many things I would love to learn, but I would love to learn how to cook desserts better, how to bake, I guess. I'm a good cook, but I am not a good baker. It's just not uh-huh. in my skill set. So I think I would like to learn to bake. Yeah. Well, baking, baking is, more... is all in
1: the measurements. Yeah. It's, it's like a very, there's a science and an art to it.
2: Not and that I'm, not that I'm a baker. But. That's the problem because I am a cook that just <laughs> estimates and just You're like a little bit bait, of this. You know? Yeah. I'm like, my husband's like, what are you doing? That's not, I'm like, this is how I cook. You like ha- my food. So this is how it, this is how it happens. So, well, yeah. I'm adding flair. Like, <laughs> I'm putting
0: flair in this thing. Yeah. A love, a
2: little joy, <laughs> a little this. Yes.
0: <laughs> what do you like to do on a Friday
2: night? I like to immediately put my pajamas on at five o'clock, make some dinner for the family, and then give my son a bath, and then literally lay on the couch and not move for probably like three and a half to four hours, either binge watching a show together or watching a movie. You have a BFF in Chrissy right now.
1: It's like the first thing that happens when I walk in the house, like the bra comes off and whatever pants are on, they just, they become sweatpants.
2: Yes. Gotta be comfy. Gotta be comfy. Oh, and like always my hair goes up. If my hair's down, it's like, gotta put the hair up. PJ's on, then I'm in comfort mode.
0: Yeah. Well, your hair looks super cute up. She has it up right now, everyone. You can't see. (laughs) What are you reading or watching right now?
2: I am reading a book called Girl 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 it is literally it's like it's g-i-r-l-g-u-r-l and then g-u-r-l-l and it's really good it's by Kenya Hunt and it's all about black motherhood and like coming to be as a woman I'm loving that I have like maybe 20 pages left and just started watching Firefly Lane last night on Netflix is that good I like it a lot. I love Katherine Heigl. And there's another girl in there from Scrubs. That's what I remember her from. Sarah Chalk. Yes. But my husband hated it. So I was like, well,
0: we were looking for something to watch. And my husband's like, we watched the trailer. And he's like, nope. And I was like, yeah, that must be my own night. I'll sit down and watch something like that.
2: I'm liking it so far. Definitely.
0: Good. Okay. How do you picture your empty nest date?
2: Oh, gosh, it's so hard for me to imagine those because my son's so young right now. But I imagine a little bit more balance in my life. I think right now I feel very pulled in a million different directions of being a mom, being an entrepreneur, working a full time job, being a friend, being a daughter, being a wife. So I think my empty nest days may be a little bit more intentionally focused on certain things that I'm passionate about, but that's about all I can see at this point. Well said.
1: Yeah. I love that. I I think that's what motherhood is. There's so much of this focus on everybody else. And that is something we look forward to in our emptiness days is kind of that return to balance a little bit. Anna, at the age of 27, you were diagnosed with breast cancer and I absolutely love your website by the way, it's a beautiful website. On the website, you say, cancer may have taken my breasts and my hair, but I kept my lipstick and heels. Mic drop. That's just (laughs) such a powerful, beautiful line. I love it. Can you share a bit about your journey through breast cancer and how you managed to confront your insecurities and find new ways to thrive with So much confidence and style.
2: You are so sweet. Well, thank you so much for your kind words. And, you know, it has been definitely a journey for me. I think, you know, being diagnosed with cancer at any age can be traumatic and going through it in your 20s or at a younger age when it feels much more foreign can be this added element of confusion and anger and just angst around dealing with something that's so unknown and you've never experienced it or gone through it with your loved ones around you, besides maybe, you know, a grandparent or an elder, uh, another elder aunt or uncle or something. And so I think, you know, for me, there were definitely some deep, dark times of not feeling secure and not feeling good about my body about myself, I went through chemotherapy and a double mastectomy and fertility treatments. And so going through all of that definitely forced me, I think, to look at some of the things that I maybe believed about myself or insecurities that I had. And, you know, losing your hair and your breast you have lost these elements that society kind of deems as determining your femininity or determining your you know, attractiveness, your appearance. And so losing those by, ch- by not by choice, you know, by circumstance kind of forced me to evaluate like who was left, you know, I was, and I realized I'm like, Oh, I'm still me. You know, I am still me without all of these things. And actually kind of like this person, <laughs> you know, at times there was some, there was definitely a lot of grief. I think about that loss, about the loss of the hair, about the loss of my breast, but having to confront that sense of, okay, who am I in spite of all these things that society says, make me a woman? Who am I? And being and finding some level of comfort with that person, I think really set me on this path of wanting to share about what I've gone through and help other women because I don't, I hope that it doesn't take cancer for other people to face those things and those beliefs that they have about themselves. You know, I don't want anyone else to get sick to say, okay, enough is enough, I need to stop putting myself down, or I need to stop feeling this way about myself, just because of how I look. And so I think for me, you know, I really took that opportunity of, okay, I'm in this, and it's really horrible. How am I going to use that to both heal myself, and then give back and start to use that experience to help others. And so I love, you know, using my blog on social media to talk about, kind of that, that, journey to self-confidence. And I talk a lot about that. It's not, it's not over. <laughs> there are still plenty of days when I don't feel great about myself, but it, that it is a, it's a process. It's something you have to do all the time and be dedicated to. So yeah, I am very passionate about that topic.
1: Well, and it, it is. I mean, some days you sachet in a room and you're feeling yourself. And then there are other days where you just don't want to leave the room because you have all those insecurities coming to the surface. So it is definitely a constant struggle to navigate that. So I want to just touch on the style piece for one second, because I will be the first person to announce to everyone that I have none. <laughs> I'm, I'm you always too. behind. No, I like, I pick up fashion way after it's, it's in style. Like, I mean, there's this meme going around on TikTok right now about like, if your hair is parted to the side and if you're wearing skinny jeans, and then if you use the the emoji with the crying emoji with the tears, yeah. I do all three of those. I feel personally attacked here, but I always pick up trends like so much later. And, but you, you're, I follow you on Instagram and I see your website and you are so fashion forward you have so much fun with fashion. Have you always been into dial and you know fashion magazines and dressing up? to feel good? Or was that something that kind of
2: emerged through your journey with cancer? So I think a little bit of both Chrissy, as a young child, my mom said, I would love to go shopping, we didn't have a lot of money. So we would always go to thrift stores. And she said, even at three years old, I would go right over to the shoe section. And I was like trying on shoes and picking things out. So I always had a love of fashion. I loved reading of like historical books where they show you all the different fashion through the ages. But I grew up in a small town uh, outside of Asheville. And then growing up, like my mom wasn't into fashion. I wasn't really surrounded by people that were interested in it. So it died off a little bit in the sense that, like, I never really felt confident about it. I had an interest. But it was never really cultivated. And so it really wasn't until probably right before my cancer diagnosis that I got really into reading style blogs, like fashion blogs and getting Pinterest was really big at that time. It was like 2015. And I just remember saving like so many outfits. I started taking pictures of my outfits every day. I was like getting more creative with what I was wearing and just, it was about what I was enjoying a little bit more so than it had ever been. It was more like, oh, here's a style. Or an outfit that inspires me, I'm going to try that instead of this is the trend and I have to wear it because it's a trend. Mm. So I think when cancer hit, I was in the midst of that moment in my life and having to dress for a different body type as my body was changing and going through surgeries. It almost gave me like that freedom to say whatever you thought your style had to be before, or like this fitting in idea of what fashion is doesn't really matter. You know, fashion and style through my journey was more, well, here's a means for me to cope. Like, how do I, how am I feeling today? What kind of like armor do I want to put on? I worked all through chemo. So it was like, even when I was feeling like crap, I was like, okay, I'm going to get up. I'm going to put on something that makes me feel beautiful. I'm going to put on something that's like warm covers my scars. You know, I had these new elements to think about when I was getting dressed every day. So it did become a bit of more of a ritual for me. And like being more experimental in style because I was adapting to what I was going through. And so I think that carried over after I was done in treatment, I had maybe built up a little bit more confidence in the sense of like, Oh, I actually really do enjoy this. And other people are looking to me for support in this area. Maybe I do kind of have an eye for this or that type of thing. So it's definitely evolved over time. And now I feel very, confident in like what my style has become. I can describe my style. I know like who I am. People will send me pictures of like, I saw this ad and it screamed Anna, like, you know, and I'm like, yes, you know me that I would buy that exact outfit. And so that's really fun to have like come into that. But I think a lot of women, you know, I mean, specifically to your experience, Chrissy, they feel like they're behind figuring out like what's trendy, So like, to me, there is a difference between being trendy and having a style, like having a style is a version of how you dress that fits your personality. Trendy can be like what you see on the runway each year and things that are trends that go through stores and being, being stylish does not mean you have to be trendy. But I think a lot of people conflate the two and they think, oh, well, to be stylish, I have to be on top of the trend, but trends are always changing. And I'll be honest, like I have been following those same memes. I am gonna keep my side part skinny jeans <laughs> and, <do laughs> 18, oh my and gosh. use straight across emoji. Like my because that said, middle part was just not flattering. <laughs> I mean, not for me, but like that's okay, right? That's the trend yeah. right now, and not every trend is for everyone. You know, I encourage people to try it. Like, go out, you know, and buy the wide leg, leg wide leg legs wide leg jeans and try it and be like okay how do I feel and maybe you're like oh my god I hate this I never want to wear it again and some people have tried them on and they're like wow, oh, I do like this better than skinny jeans so it's like about that experimenting piece. Oh, oh my I gosh I think we'd both be up for you to coach us
1: yeah can okay. we go on a shopping
0: trip post-covid oh like... god, <laughs> oh, I would love oh that man, I just bought my skinny jeans <laughs> <laughs> yes. now it's wide leg <laughs> Anna, if you Google you, your name, I know it's kind of creepy, right? But I did. I Googled you. And one of the things that comes up in the search is your UNC patient story. And it's so lovely. It's very lovely. And in the story, one of the things that you talk about is how challenging it was for you to find other women that were your age and going through what you were going through. So your answer to this, which is so admirable, is you launched your blog. My Cancer Chic. And on the blog, you're, you're vulnerable, you tell your story, you're just open. And you've helped countless women know that they're not alone through their journey with cancer. Your work has also morphed into some amazing advocacy work in other areas as well. What do you love most about the blogging world and where do you see yourself taking your blog as you move forward?
2: Oh gosh, it's hard to pin down. I love so much of the blogging world. And as we were talking about before, you know, we got on the call, I do have a nine to five job too. So blogging has always been my passion project. And over the past five years, it's taken up different levels different levels of time or dedication. And so I, it wasn't really until about two years into blogging that I really started treating it like a business. And so I think one of the things that has been most rewarding for me with the blogging world is being able to see myself as an entrepreneur, it's not something that I ever saw for myself, I am a very like, by the book, you go to school, and you do this career, and you do this, and you succeed, and you get married, and you do this. And so cancer threw all that out the window. And it was really exciting to have a find this new passion, I always love to write creative writing was huge in my life. I mean, from the age of like eight years old. And so being able to tell my story through words is very powerful to me. It's a way it's been a means of healing for me and also a way for me to connect with people on a different level. While I'm definitely a social butterfly in person too, I find a certain level of vulnerability is much easier when writing as compared to talking in person, because I always mention to people, you know, when you're talking to someone in person, you have to be prepared for their reaction. And you have to kind of be prepared for how that's going to impact your feeling versus when you're writing it is a very safe space for you to process what's going, what you're going through, and write on your own terms, and then share it. And you are by that point in a space where you're ready for the reaction to your writing, or you're ready to process it. So for me, the writing piece has been huge. But I would say, the writing piece, being able to experience the world of entrepreneurship and just like take my blog to a place where it is a business and I get to work as a brand and then also do my passionate work of advocacy in the space of breast cancer is huge. And then really the community. I mean, I think now, you know, it's not about the follower count. It's not about, you know, what I'm almost at 14,000, which is like crazy for me to say. I'm like 14,000 people follow me. Like I just think about the individuals. I think about like, you know, the one, the people whose handles I know that I see every single day that I talk to. And I feel like we're friends and I feel like I know them and I know their kids and I know what they're going through. And to think that like, I wouldn't have this community if I hadn't started the blog, like that's just, that's I think the the most important part to me.
0: When you, you said that you're more vulnerable when you talk to somebody in terms of like receiving their feedback. Do you ever get... Bad comments? Like, are your blogs open for people to comment on? And you've gotten one that was like, well, that was nasty.
2: You know, I I have been really lucky on the blog. I think blogging, it's interesting. The way the world has evolved with blogging, the trolls and like the negativity is more on social media than on blogs. So I've definitely gotten my share of like negativity in on social media but I haven't necessarily on the blog. And I guess more so rather than it being negative, it can be more triggering. So everyone, you know, has their own interpretation of things and their own explanation, especially when it comes to health or cancer. And so for me, as specifically for my journey, as I was processing the decisions that I was making about, you know, treatment or what I was going through or how I was feeling, I wasn't really in a space to take input from other people, like hearing about, you know, how somebody else's aunt died of cancer, or, you know, that if you just ate X, you would be healed. I wasn't really ready to like, hear that. And so it was easier for me to like process on my own, write about the process that I went through, and then put it publicly. And then you know, say, Oh, okay, now I'm in a mental space where I can read these comments, and it's not going to ruin or change how I feel about my decision. So I've been very lucky that there has not been a lot of negativity in that space. But I will admit it it never stops being scary when you're per- when you're hitting publish on a very vulnerable post. I remember it was like three years in, And I was sharing this one particular post that was very vulnerable, both graphically and emotionally talking about some of the surgeries that I've been through. And I mean, up until the second I pressed it, and then even when I pressed it, I was like, Oh, my God, did I just publish that? You know, I mean, it was like full photos of my surgeries and all the like pain that I'd been through and grief. And, and so it was like, I just put that out on the internet, like anybody can now read my deepest, darkest, like painting, you know, and that's really scary. But the support has been resoundingly positive. And so I think the more and more that's happened, the easier it gets to share. And now it feels very much like a second nature to me. So it's easier to carry over that same level of vulnerability to my social media, because I started on the blog, and was able to really like craft it in a safe space i think.
1: When you received your diagnosis, you and your husband were newlyweds, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're you're starting a new chapter, you're perhaps talking planning a family and you know a lot of us we we recognize that marriage is a journey of ups and downs and the both of you were hit with a very difficult situation very early in your marriage how were you able to work through that together remain united and continue to tackle challenges
2: that life throws at you. Wow. Yeah, Chrissy, you are so right. I mean, I think when someone is diagnosed with cancer, it's not just the person that's diagnosed that's dealing with it, you know, the partner and the caregiver is, is battling it too. And so I think we always have to remember that, especially when it's a spouse, you know, there's a deep level of love and connection there. And so to see your partner in pain and dealing with something so scary can be can be really traumatic. And so You're right. We were newlyweds. We were literally, I mean, we had been, we had just celebrated our first wedding anniversary and I like, yeah, I had gone off birth control that spring. And we were like in that waiting window where it was like, okay, great. This is the year we're going to have a baby. Like we sold our first house. We were like so excited and ready to like buy a new house. Like this is going to be our forever home. And we're going to have a baby this year. And then we were in between houses, our house sold quickly, quicker than we thought. And we couldn't find somewhere else fast enough. So we were living with my mother in law, and I found a lump. And then, you know, it was like, literally in a matter of weeks, I was diagnosed. So we're not even living, you know, in our home, we're now, you know, a newlywed couple living with a parent in my husband's childhood bedroom, you know, so we don't even have that space and our own kind of realm to be able to process everything. But I will say what was most helpful for us is that we had been together at that point, probably, let's see, at least four, four, four and a half years at that point, and really had a strong foundation of communication that we had really prioritized from very early on in dating and, you know, a level of like, we are always going to talk about everything and we are going to bring it to the top and we're going to bring it to the surface and talk about it, whether it's uncomfortable or not. That was kind of like at the core of our relationship. And so really having like that mutual trust and comfort to discuss uncomfortable things really definitely came in handy really quickly because suddenly, you know, we go from wow, we both really want to have a start a family this year to we're having to make decisions really quickly about the what if future of our family. You know, are we are, are we gonna do fertility preservation? Do we wanna freeze embryos? where are where am I going to get treatment? What kind of surgery am I going to have? And so having that foundation of communication and trust, I think was huge. Also, what for me, I feel really grateful for is my husband has been very empowering in our relationship for a very long time. And so he always approached everything about my surgery and decisions empowering me to make the decision. So while I think, you know, caregivers are a huge part of it, at the end of the day, the patient has to be the one owning the decisions, because they're the one living with it. And so having a partner that could support me in the research and the, you know, the knowledge collection piece, but then at the end of the day, say, this is your body, and I support you in whatever you do. You know that goes a really long way. So going through cancer and dealing with the treatment itself, and then after, has definitely, like you said, been the ups and downs of relationships. You know, we've gone through periods of depression. We've gone through you know tough times of getting laid off, and then dealing with you know all of those pieces, plus you know long term medical bills, and then you know the grief, and we've gone through fertility issues afterwards. So it's definitely been a a, a marathon. I think of continually just reinvesting in one another and checking in like, how are you in this moment? You know, do we need to check in? Do we need to like have a conversation? Like, what do you need from me right now? How can I be supportive? And so that's really, you know, there's no real magic answer. It's just a lot of hard work long term, I think. That's a beautiful segue
0: into our next question.
1: This episode is sponsored by Her Circle, the supportive and welcoming community for moms created by Her Health Collective.
0: Her Circle is a welcoming and supportive community for moms who are passionate about making change for themselves, their families, the community, and the world. Together, this village of women are revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. From an active, private online community and the incredible
1: daily chats hosted there, to our many virtual gatherings including support groups, mom's night out, volunteer opportunities, book club, family adventures, coffee chats, and so much more, we love providing moms the chance to connect and create
0: authentic
1: relationships
0: with one another. The network of experts in Her Circle are a phenomenal resource and provide great learning experiences for moms on topics ranging from women's health to parenting. We cover the issues that matter to moms the most, from virtual expert Q&As to one-on-one wellness minute consultations and support groups. We are committed to getting moms in front of the information, experts, and support they need most. To
1: learn more about Her Circle, Head to www.HerHealthCollective.com her circle. We have a limited number of spaces and the doors only open a few times a year. So be sure to add your name to the no obligation waitlist. So you are the first to know when the
0: doors officially reopen. We talked a lot about how you're vulnerable and you are open when on your blog, and we've talked about your husband and your relationship, and you mentioned a little bit about your fertility struggles. And you're also very open about that in your blog posts and on social media. We were hoping that you'd be willing to share a bit about your journey to becoming a mom and the emotions you felt through the process talking a little bit more about how you were able to reconcile with the emotions of having cancer, coupled with how it affected
2: your dream to become a mom. Absolutely. And, you know, I think for me, the hardest part about being diagnosed with cancer was the fertility and the motherhood piece. I think many young women that have a health scare that could impact their ability to become a mother, it is it adds a different level of trauma to whatever you're going through. So I think if you're not interested in being a parent, that doesn't even come into play, right? You're able to just jump right into treatment and say, okay, I'm going to focus on whatever's going to save my life. But if being a parent is something that's been a part of your desire and your lifelong dream, which for me, it was, I had been working with kids since I was you know, 10 years old, babysitting, you know, I was a teacher, I, I went, I literally spent my entire life up until the age of 27, dedicated to this world of caring for children. And this idea that my self worth was defined by being a mother, you know, this was the path and light that I was destined to have. And then to be told, you know, in that first appointment, uh, we don't know if you'll be able to have children after this. And to hear those words when you like three weeks ago, I was, you know, planning to have a baby in six months is, you know, it is jolting. And so I think, you know, the first part was coming to terms with I'm having to shift gears. And this is just what I have to do for my to save my life right now. And having doctors that supported me and gave me options of here's what we can do to give you the most options later. We don't know what the future holds and we don't know how this will impact you, but we do know that chemotherapy has a chance of making you infertile or having an impact on your fertility. And so I think that part for me was the biggest grief. You know, I was, it was easier for me to go into the surgery and lose my breasts. I mean, which seems crazy to say, because that's a very traumatic experience as well. But in my mind, I was more worried about, you know, my entire future rests on how many eggs I get out of this IVF cycle, because if I don't get enough eggs, that's literally my entire future as a parent resting on this one extraction surgery or the uh, egg harvesting. And so going navigating through that, I think was a constant battle with myself of trying to maintain some sense of hope while also feeling like there was so much unknown in my life, there was unknown as to what would come next in my treatment, there was unknown as to how it would impact me, there was unknown of how I was going to mentally cope. And so it was definitely just a trying to take it day by day and, and reassure myself that like, there is some hope for this after cancer. And To kind of go back to what you had mentioned earlier of trying to find other young women, you know, going through cancer, that was one of my biggest asks. Was like, find me anyone that's my age that has had a baby after cancer. Like, I needed that. I needed that visual of hope. I needed to know that someone had been there, and it was really hard to find. And so, for me, being able to be that beacon now for other young women has been very powerful because I I literally remember being in that exact moment searching. Facebook and Google and, you know, everywhere trying to find one person that had my specific kind of cancer and had a child later. And so to kind of fast forward a little bit, my particular kind of cancer, I did have to be on hormone blocking medication for many years after my treatment to reduce my risk of recurrence. And I was on that for about three years, and then was given the, the green light by my oncologist to take a break for a little while and try to have a baby, which, which that in and of itself, was like opening the Pandora's chest a little bit again, of Okay, I have locked this dream away, you know, when they said you're diagnosed, and you're not going to be able to go off this medication for three to five years, I had to lock that away. Like I had to say, I cannot think about having a baby right now. I cannot think about the desire, I am putting all of those dreams in this little box, and I'm locking them up. And so then three years later, to open that box again, and for my husband and I to sit there and say, like, are we ready emotionally? you know, not just, okay, we've gotten the seal of approval to do this from a physical standpoint, but like, are we ready to go through this process emotionally again, of reopening the potential and the potential that it might not work and, you know, all of those things. And so that coupled with also looking at fear of recurrence and my cancer and knowing that going off to try and get pregnant was a risk. And were we willing to weigh that risk? So all things considered, we, you know, some good therapy and a lot of, again, communication and partnership, you know, decided, okay, this is time. And so in January of 2018, I went off my medications. And then it was like another waiting game. Okay, is my cycle going to come back? Like now is the the time to find out did chemotherapy have an impact on me or not. And I had luckily some over in reserve. And so that, you know, that was like, Oh, my God, I remember crying in the bathroom when my period came back for the first time, because it was like, holy cow, I get to like, I get to go through this experience. And, you know, of course, there's other routes to parenthood besides you having the child yourself, but it was very, it was very emotional to say, wow, this is this is a chapter that I do maybe get to have. And from there, there, I did get pregnant naturally and had a ectopic pregnancy emergency. And then we did a frozen embryo transfer with one of the chemotherapy pre chemotherapy eggs or embryos, and that worked. And then I had a miscarriage at seven weeks. And so it was each time it was a Trying to hold on to that hope. Like, is this really going to work out? And knowing that at the same time, this clock is ticking. For me to go back on my cancer medication, I was only allowed to be off for a total of two years, including the birth of a baby. So it was, you know, I was down to the wire. I mean, we were we were in therapy with a specific therapist in the area who's just absolutely phenomenal with specifically with fertility clients, that's her area of focus. And I remember we were just going through, okay, what's plan B? What's plan C? You know, we were looking at surrogates, we were looking Through adoption, you know, we pretty much said, okay, we have one month to do one more transfer. And if it doesn't take, that's it. Like we're, we're out of options. And then we're, you know, looking at, can we come up with $30,000 for a surrogate? You know, I mean, it's like, it's not a... Drop in the bucket, you know. I think people say, "Oh, you know, there's surrogates or, but or adoption." But these are expensive options that the majority of the population do not have resources for, (laughs) and so we were right around that time frame and we were waiting to do another cycle. I really had reached a point of feeling really frustrated with my body and just, you know, guilty that this wasn't working out and then also just scared because I wanted it so bad and I had allowed myself to want it again and it wasn't working out and I got pregnant naturally. In the midst of that, in the most stressful time, and we went in to do the the embryo transfer and they said you know, the reason that your labs are not ready for the embryo transfer is you're pregnant. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I can't be pregnant. I'm like, we're waiting to do the test. And so, so I still, you know, and I think even a lot of my followers don't realize because they've kind of, it's been such a long journey of, Getting to this point, you know, for my son Mason to be here, like people don't realize like, no, this was natural, you know, after all of that and the loss and the years and the this just happened, like my body just finally got it. So that was a very long story. But my story is a little hard to sum up because of all the, the twists and turns. But I try to make a point of sharing so many elements of that, because I think it applies so much to the infertility community that's facing that because of whatever health versions they have, as well as this growing population of young adults with cancer that are dealing with the elements of cancer and a long-term diagnosis impact in addition to the fertility element. So I always try to share just to you know show people that it's possible.
0: We are so grateful that you did, that you shared every... Every detail that you did about the story. And as you were talking, I was trying so hard to practice really active listening, but my mind was like, I've got to ask her this. I've got to ask her this. Oh my gosh, I want to learn about this. I want to hear more about this. And then I was thinking of all of these images through your struggle. It was just, it's bringing tears to my eyes because I can imagine the first image that I had in my mind was of a boxer in a boxing ring, just continuing to get those right hooks back and forth and back and forth. And then almost like Rocky where he gets up and then finally he defeats (laughs) the opponent, right? Or someone who's just trying to get a breath of air and they just can't swim. And then finally they just wash up on shore. And then it's just, I don't know. It's, It's a beautiful story with so many challenges. And then in the end for you to actually become pregnant naturally, but you did go through fertility uh, preservation, right? So you, even though you got pregnant naturally, you still have eggs preserved.
2: I do. So we ended up going through one pre-cancer. We went through one cycle. We only had time to do one IVF cycle before I Started chemo. And so we got three embryos fertilized. And so we used one of those in one of the transfers in 2018. And that's when I had a miscarriage. And so yes, we do still have two our little frozen babies, potential babies on ice um, (laughs) that we pay for each month. So it's a good investment, right? (laughs) Pay for that storage. (laughs) Getting used to paying for another
0: one like right away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kids are expensive.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Well, and you do. You have a beautiful son now. He is just delightful. We get to see him sometimes on social media. We know that motherhood changes a woman. In what ways has being a mom changed you?
2: You are so right. I think, you know, it's hard to imagine what it's like to be a mother until you're there. And I remember, you know, people would joke about, oh, you're going to be so tired. You have no idea, but you just don't get it. You don't get the Elements and the the both the good and the bad, right? Both how absolutely insanely connected and how much love you can feel for another human being outside your body, but also the absolute emotional and physical exhaustion that you feel of being of caring for and being responsible for another human at all times. And so I think it's it's this very interesting shift in living in a state of imbalance and being okay with that. So I think I've very much given up on I think I mean, well, I gave this idea when you asked about what I was going to be like as an empty nester. I gave this idea of desiring some sense of balance, but at least in this place in my life, I have given up on the idea of balance. There is no such thing. And so I think it's about showing yourself grace and understanding that as a mother, you are split in different places, especially as a working mother or as a stay-at-home mother, you are, you play so many different roles and that you're never going to be equally balanced in all those different roles and that it's okay. So I think it's definitely shifted my ideas of balance.
1: That's beautiful. It is definitely a give and take
0: and you're 100% right about just never being in balance. It's just (laughs) not possible. So if we were to give you a magic wand and you could change one thing about postpartum care in our country, what would you change and why, why would you change it?
2: Oh my gosh so many things, so many things to change, but I can only change one, I only get a a magic wand. So I will say that from a mental health standpoint, I was extremely impressed with our healthcare system checking in on your mental health. Like I was not surprised for how much my doctors would be checking in on me mentally after the birth of my son. I think, you know, I just, I, I don't know, I just wasn't prepared for that. But I do think that beyond this survey and the check, there is a lack of resources for community and support during that postpartum period. So I think it's great that we've reached this first step where it's like, okay, we're asking women, are you doing okay? You know, where are you on this level of whatever markers they say mean that you maybe have postpartum depression or anxiety? But like, okay, where are the support resources? Like maybe I don't need the, I'm in a really, really horrible place resources, but where do I go when I'm like feeling isolated, feeling alone, needing support, needing to vent? Because I think there's that very much a middle ground when you're going through postpartum, especially I see it now in women who are going through postpartum during COVID. Of how do I connect with other moms? How do I find my support network? And so I think that would be if I could wave a wand, I would just make sure that <laughs> every mom has this some kind of support network and community for that, for that period, especially right after the first three months.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean that's a big part of why Cindy and I founded her health collective and our supportive community, her circle. It, it was that lack of community, that need for a supportive network. So I think Cindy and I are, are right in line with you with wanting to change that with a magic wand. <laughs> what is your biggest struggle currently in your role as a mom? Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Where the, <do> I
2: start? <laughs> my husband would say that my biggest struggle is consistency. You know, I try. I'm not very good at consistency. It's just not my thing. I know I need to be better about it. And I know it's so important for our son, but I'm just not the greatest at being consistent. And as P is at that age where he is challenging and pushing the boundaries. And, you know, it's so important for my husband and I to be aligned and consistent. And so that is something that I am working on
1: now. Like consistent in your responses, like when he responds in a certain way. And- yeah,
2: I think more consistency of like how I'm responding when he's throwing a temper tantrum or mm-hmm. how I'm responding when he's banging on the glass window. You know, it's like trying to be a little more intense. Intentional about my responses in the same manner each time. It's it's so hard in the moment, though. I mean, it is so hard. You feel like they're doing it on purpose. That's what gets me. (laughs) I'm like, are you doing this on purpose to irk me? Because it sure feels like it.
0: (laughs) You know, everyone's like they say they always know how to push your buttons. Oh Um, yeah. I don't know. Do they, or are they just living? It's so hard to know.
2: Because how would they know?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you have all of our moms listening. And if you have one piece of advice you'd like to give them or women who are trying to become a mom, what would you like to say to them?
2: So I think my biggest piece of advice, you know, we've talked a lot about going through difficult times and being vulnerable and navigating kind of these ups and downs of life. And I think My biggest piece of advice would be to show yourself some grace, treat yourself like you would your neighbor or your friend, because I think as moms, we take on these ungodly expectations of how we're supposed to be in the world and how we're supposed to be as a parent and a wife and a a business owner or a worker or whatever roles define you and we suddenly feel like for some reason the grace that we show to other people is not appropriate for ourselves and I don't know where we went off the rails and started thinking that that was appropriate maybe it was like these 60 60s ideals of the homemaker that came out and you know she does it all and she never feels bad and I think we just need to like reset and say you know what I'm only human and just like I would show my friend kindness and compassion in these difficult situations I would do the same for myself
1: Ah, oh, yes. Anna, you are such a joy to talk to. And I am so ecstatic that I finally got an opportunity to sit down and talk to you. I feel like we've been communicating here and there off and on for a long time now. And it's just such a joy to speak with you. Your story is heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time. And we're, we're so grateful that you were willing to share it with us. It was so lovely to have you
0: here. I love it. Thank you ladies so much for having me. It was
2: such an honor.
0: Yes, absolutely. We look forward to connecting with you again very soon. Same here. All right. Take care. Ah, how
1: amazing is Anna? Her story is so inspiring and she is just so much fun to be around. Here's our three takeaways from our time with Anna. One, true beauty is not what's visible from the outside. You have to take the time to analyze what. It is you believe about yourself and take note of the insecurities that are holding you back from being your true self. Even the most confident person faces days in which they must battle personal insecurities. Self-confidence is a process. It is definitely not something you will feel every single day. It is not your outward appearance that makes you who you are. If you take away all the determinants of beauty that have been dictated by society, who are you left with? That is who you are. And it is up to you to like that person. Two, I loved this part of our conversation with Anna. You don't need to follow trends. Being trendy is different than having style. We have this conversation regarding fashion trends, but I think it can apply to numerous other areas of life too. What speaks to you? What feels good to you? What types of clothing, makeup, and hairstyles speak to who you are as a person? Alternatively, what types of hobbies, values, and rituals fall in line with the person you see yourself being? Finding your own style. And following that which speaks to who you are as an individual will always be following a current trend. It's about knowing who you are, experimenting, and being brave enough to embrace what you love, even if it's different than what the outside world says is trendy. Three, you cannot navigate life, the ups, the downs, everything in between, without acknowledging the importance of having a solid support system using open communication with loved ones, and embracing vulnerability in a way that feels safe to you. It takes being vulnerable and openly communicating with others to truly build a strong connection. And it takes that connection to foster a support system that will lift you up with love and compassion when you need it most. The important thing to remember is that you are in control of these things. You can choose to instill these values in your life and make it a part of how you approach your most treasured relationships.
0: High five, friend. We had so much fun with you. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review. We love hearing what you have to say. Until next time, stay true to you.